to Spine Chillers and Serial Killers. I'm Becky. I'm Emma. And I'm Tash. Hello. Welcome back. That was so nice. <laughs> that was really, that was really nice. <laughs> Almost angelical. <laughs> Hello. Hi. That's what you're going to get from me. I just wanted to give something different. No, it was good. It was good energy. It was. It was. <laughs> it was hauntingly beautiful. Yeah. Are you okay, ladies? We're all good in the hood. How are you? I'm not okay. Oh. Hmm. <laughs> Any specific reason, or just uh, in general? Oh no, no, no. There's a reason, and I want to tell you it. But I'm also f- afraid that if I tell you why I'm not okay, Becky's never going to let me forget it and going to bring it up. <laughs> Don't be now. <laughs> oh my God, I'm so excited for this reason that you're not okay, which is really, really horrible. But go on. It's horrendous. Oh my God, please tell. Oh, horrendous because it's embarrassing or horrendous, horrendous? It's horrendous, horrendous. Oh dear. So I think last week I'm in bed. And we're just going to sleep. And Ben says, oh, I forgot to tell you something because one of our kids has been having trouble sleeping. So he's been getting up in the night because I don't wake up. I'm a very deep sleeper. Anyway, he said, oh, I forgot to tell you something really creepy. And I was like, I'm glad you chose this moment just before bed to tell me this. (laughs) And he's like, oh, I won't tell you. I was like, well, now I need to know. Yeah, you've got to tell me. And he said he'd gotten up with Maddie the night before. And she said, when she gets up to the toilet in the night, so this is like, she she just goes to the loo by herself. You know, it's not like we get up every time with her. Yeah. So you've got to understand our house layout, like mine and Ben's bedroom and the kids' bedroom are like completely symmetrical. And there's just like a long corridor in between the two. Yeah. We sleep with our bedroom doors open so they can see into our room and we can see into their room. Are you with me? Yeah. Yeah. So when she gets up to go to the loo that's on this corridor, she can see straight into our bedroom. Oh my God, what has she seen? She said that sometimes when she goes to the loo, she can see a black and white person pacing back and forth in front of our bedroom door. Oh my my Lord. And that's not all she said. Well, tell us more. She said then... When she goes into the bathroom to wash her hands, she sees a brown-haired woman sat in the bath. You need to move the fuck out of her house. I'm there now. I'm just like, can we just move? You've got an old house as well. That is a stone bull 18th century house that you're in at the minute. So I bet there's a hell of a lot of... I bet it's longer than 18th century. Oh, yeah, absolutely. This is hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years old. Yeah, it's, it's probably is older than that. It was just a, a guess. So it doesn't stop there, right? Oh, no. No. So my husband is very pragmatic, very... I thought you were going to say very pregnant. I was like, what? <laughs> no, he's very pragmatic, very techy, science guy. I wouldn't say he disbelieves in the paranormal, but he takes it with a grain of salt kind of thing. Yeah. So a few nights ago, he said, Oh, I've got another creepy thing to tell you. And I'm oh, like, fuck oh, off man. with your creepy stories. I really don't want to know. So again, my daughter had got up and she'd got upset. So he'd got up and he was in the hallway with her. 
and he heard somebody come up the stairs. No, Emma! And he looked into our bedroom because he was so convinced that it sounded like I was coming up the stairs. But of course, I'm fast asleep in bed. So he's like now quite nervous. So he thinks, oh, maybe it's a cat coming up the stairs. So yeah, does that not ring any bells? Thinking someone's coming up the stairs. Yeah, it's like Sally's house. Exactly, exactly. And so he looked over the banister to see what was occurring and why he could hear someone coming up the stairs and there was nothing there. Uh, Nope. Nope. Pack your bags. So how far off are you moving into your house? Yes. (laughs) Not as close as I would like. A few months. Yeah. Oh. Thing is, my kid's not fussed. Like, she wasn't frightened. It was ever, ever, it was like matter of fact. Oh, when I get up, I see this person pacing in front of your door. No, mate, you need to sage the shit out of your house right now. I don't like have any sage on me, but, um, yeah. I've got some sage. I can bring it over and we'll have a sprig of it each and we'll flap it around the house if you want. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Let's do some flapping. What's that called? I can't remember what it's called. I just call it sage the house. Purify the house. No, there's another word. Smudging. Isn't it smudging? Smudging. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Smudging. You need to smudge. So yeah, it's been fun. The black and white person and the brown haired lady in the bath, he told me and then literally turned around and went to sleep. What a bastard. He's like, right, well, night then. Good luck with that. (laughs) Yeah. Because he was just kind of saying, oh, she's just imagining it. You know, she's not awake. Oh, how cute. Yeah. Oh, yeah, nice. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, he wasn't wasn't so keen on hearing somebody come up the stairs that wasn't there. So, yeah, that's fun. What is it with hair as well? Like the brown-haired lady in the bath? All I can picture is just like hair. If you know, hair's so scary. Yeah. Yeah. If I start finding brown hair in the bath, I'm going to not be happy. No. So, yeah, that's why, uh, yeah, not not so great. But on a more positive note, I've got tons of positive things to say about our Facebook page. Go on. We're so lucky to have such an amazing group of people on our Facebook page. They always interact. I'm always getting messages loads of people encouraging us and it's it's just such a lovely place to be and everybody's so nice so i thought i'm just going to give everybody a blink and shout out because oh thanks guys we do really appreciate it oh it's fab so we have ruth ruth and charlie remember (laughs) yeah Yeah. (laughs) ruth the legend big up charlie as well (laughs) stacy who has now just earned her top fan badge. So, whoop. Woohoo! Neil. Do you remember Neil who does the spooky yes. investigations and gets the EVPs and stuff? Yeah. Yeah. There's Lynette, Beverly, Megan, Gary, Erin, and Jason. Jason's also commented, and he was bragging that Scottish people don't struggle to say Worcestershire sauce. Did I say that properly? Worcestershire? Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Did I, Tasha, or are you just buying your tongue? No, I think fine. I think fine. Worcestershire sauce, yeah. But he was basically saying Scottish people have no problem at all. So I was like, all right, Jason. Well, listen, maybe I'm the one saying it wrong. I'm all judgmental over here. Maybe you're saying it right and I'm saying it wrong. Well, anyway, Jason can say it. 
So, but Jason, uh, we're proud of you. Yeah, well done, Jason. Uh, you'd get on with Tash. Perfect. Yeah, I'd love to hear <laughs> that that word said in a Scottish accent. I bet it sounds epic. So yeah. yeah, they're all people that have been interacting. Oh, and Nicole as well. I forgot Nicole. Um, yeah, it's just great. It's just like bants and just loads of positivity and it's just a really nice place to be and it's all because of the lovely people that listen to our podcast so just wanted to give them a shout out yeah i saw that there was more notifications and like messages and everything coming by this week uh so no thanks for everyone yeah it's been lovely and speaking of nicole so nicole is the only person who guessed our second song riddle I've had a few good guesses, but not correct. She's the only one that got it right. And it was, in fact, Yellow Submarine. Well done, Nicole. Yeah, well done. It was a hard one, but there were clues. Yeah. Well, there was yellowish in it for a start. So Mm. Captain is also part of the lyrics. You knew you were in the sea because I said it was the sea. Sky of Blue, also part of the lyrics. And my friends are all aboard. That was in there too. So yeah, yeah. there were there were some clues, but yeah. it was a difficult one. So yeah. well done, Nicole. Go you. Well done. Round of applause to you. And she says she's loving the podcast and she got hooked on the Sally series and is actually the reason that I'm going to do another series because I thought, Ooh. well, if the people love a series, let's give them another Emma Spooky series. Let's do it. Uh All right. Uh I also want to give a shout out to two podcasts who have been absolutely nothing but supportive and lovely to us. And they deserve all the love in the world. And that is Brew Crime and Please Don't Follow Me Home because they're just genuinely fantastic people. Yeah. Yeah, they're really, really nice. And just that's me clapping. Really. That, That doesn't sound like clapping from here. It sounds like, I don't know something else (laughs) (laughs) it was a bit of a sexy noise wasn't it a little bit yeah no no they're really lovely both from both podcasts the people on there just so lovely and really unproblematic which is uh, always nice very easy to listen to (laughs) yes i love i love unproblematic people (laughs) yeah if you know what i mean i just love people that are unproblematic they're just great and they're really funny yeah my kind of people I mean, JT's on our Facebook page and he's part of Brew Crime and he, he did our promo video and yeah, they've just been brilliant. So I'm just having a, what a lovely bunch of people that we know. We're very lucky, aren't we? We are. Yeah. We are. We are. Uh, we have got lovely listeners, which is what we want. We don't want not nice listeners. They can all go away. <laughs> yeah. They can go on the, the more popular podcast. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I also got an, um, a PM. Hang on. PM. I because I was listen, listening to oh, no, the it's MP in French, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Listening to the episode last week, I said MP, but that's in French because it's message privé. But then I realised, oh that, my god, did you? Yeah, I said MP, and uh, it's PM in English. But I'm sure people <laughs> got the general gist of what I was saying. Uh, so yeah. I got. Uh, PM. <laughs> I had to really think about that really hard. 
from someone called Joey who said he listens to us while he's at work and he's got a really boring job and we help him get through it because he's just loving everything about it. So I'd like to know how people get away with that because I went away last weekend and whilst I was lounging by the pool, I tried to listen to our podcast and not laugh out loud hysterically. And I tried to listen to some other podcasts that I listened to. But I just ended up laying on a sun lounger, surrounded by, you know, an average age of probably 56, <laughs> the people in the vicinity, pissing myself laughing. So I just had to stop listening to podcasts because all I would do was laugh. So I don't know how people can do that at work. But listen, I'm glad you can. Well, that's what he's doing. And uh, he said, it would be a tragedy if we stopped. And Joey, <laughs> we're not gonna. No. No, we're not. And he also said that he wants a special section of the podcast to be Tinder with Tash. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, I think you should uh, tell him, because Tash has just been on a girly holiday. So if you don't want Tinder with, Tinder with Tash, he can, you can always give him the... The Barman Chronicles of Fert Ventura to 2022. <laughs> <laughs> Dating yeah. with Tash. Tinder with Tash. And he also said that he really likes the fact that we cover the topics that no one else covers. Now, I think that's probably more aimed at you, Bex, because I do very famous haunting cases. You do the not-so-well-known true crime, so he really likes that. And also, he then blew my mind because we started talking about the Mandela effect. You know what the Mandela effect is, don't you? Indeed, I do. In fact, inadvertently, the other week, me and Bex went for it. You didn't, Tash. You knew it wasn't true. But the Monopoly man, we were talking about the Monopoly man wearing a monocle. I, d I, don't, I can't remember the context. No, but the only reason I know it's not true is because I know that it's a Mandela effect. Because me and Bex were like, he has got a monocle. He doesn't have a monocle. But I can see it in my brain. Yeah, so can I. I can yeah, see it I in my brain. I only know it because I know that he's one of the famous Mandela effects. But does the Pringle man have a monocle? Ah, uh, wait a minute. He has a moustache. I've no idea. No. And I could see that oh. in my head as well. <laughs> Weird, it's isn't it? So odd. Mm. But then he did blow my mind. Right, you tell me what you think about this. I'm ready. Snow White, yeah? The Disney film, Snow White. Yep. The evil queen, she's looking at her mirror. Mm -hmm. What does she say to her mirror? Mirror, mirror on the wall, who's the fairest of them all? Nope. Becky? Isn't that something like, am I the fairest in the land? Still the fairest in the land or something? Nope. Well, well, I thought, I initially thought it was exactly the same thing as what Tash said. Yeah, everybody thinks it's mirror, mirror on the wall, who's the fairest of them all, yeah? Yeah. yeah. That's what I thought it was. I asked my husband, he said it was that. You girls have just said that. It's not that. It <laughs> is... <laughs> what is it <laughs> what i'm not gonna tell you now no it's magic you're gonna magic. ring us up at three in the morning tell us and then leave us with that <laughs> <laughs> she says magic mirror on the wall who's the fairest of them all oh why why does everybody think it's mirror mirror it's weird because mirror and magic apart from starting with the same letter don't actually sound the same no and that did blow my mind. I was like, no 
fucking way. That's not true. And I looked it up and it's true. She says magic mirror on the wall. Who's the fairest of them all? There you go. So I, I mean, I think we were all in a different reality because I'm, I would have bet money that it was mirror, mirror on the wall. Yeah. And I would have sat there looking all smug thinking this is in the bag. And I was wrong. Yeah. Okay. That was my little shout outs for the week. Well, thank you. A general Facebook page shout out. You're all awesome. Yes. Thank you. Tash? Yeah? Do you want to give us a little tidbit about your holiday love affair with a waiter? I mean, I I did very, very nearly uh, have to leave the podcast for my new life in Fertaventura when a waiter fell in love with me. Understandably so, to be fair. Yeah. I mean, I'll be honest, guys. I was three shots away from falling in love with him. (laughs) (laughs) But it did mean that we got, me and my friend got off the menu drinks on the holiday. One of which was a honey whiskey or honey rum topped with whipped cream, which... You had to stick your finger in or your tongue into the glass to get out. So I think that was a, you know, a tactical drink there that he, he gave me. Did he just want to see you lick it? Well, yeah, I, that's what I think. Tell tell them some lines. What lines did he tell you? So I, <laughs> he made, um, I basically think it was a frozen strawberry daiquiri, but that wasn't on the menu. So he gave me that. He was like, We'd finished eating our lunch and then got up to leave and he went, wait there, stop. And I thought, oh God, have we like done something wrong? And then, <laughs> and then he came over and bought these drinks. He went, for you and your girlfriend? I says, oh, no, it's not my girlfriend. It's just my friend. And he went, oh, good. I went, oh, what's this called? So I can order one later. And he went, it's called love for you. And I was like, <laughs> oh, okay. Smooth. I was like, thanks. <laughs> and then later on that night he asked to well he asked if I could meet him in a bar for a drink after his shift and then uh yeah he told me that I was special and that he'd never met anyone like me and I I basically said to him I'm pretty sure you say that to a different girl every week but thank you anyway (laughs) (laughs) yeah I'll take it (laughs) it just makes you wonder how often does that work and how often does that guy get laid from holiday makers. I bet it's a lot. Do you think? Yeah, oh, I, I think, think when it you're is. on holiday, you kind of, you're not at home, no consequences. Shag the barman. He was not at all the type of man that I would go for. Yeah, and just a little bit creepy, to be honest. He sounds creepy. He sounds sickly, <laughs> one liner, like sickly sweet, gross. Yeah, he was a bit much, to be fair. Did he pull out some, like, cheesy one-liners to try and get in your pants? Yeah, just, like, paying me compliments, telling me that I was beautiful and, like... I mean, that's not a lie. No, but, like, it's a bit much, isn't it? It's the tw- It's 2022, like, that isn't how you woo a girl, in my opinion. Did he ask you if it hurt when you fell down from heaven? <laughs> I don't know that his English was good enough for that. Did he ask you, uh, <laughs> is that your spaceship over there? Because you're out of this world. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's what he should have said to me. 
they're not consistent in what they were doing at that hotel. So sometimes they'd take your room number when you ordered drinks. Sometimes they wouldn't. Even though you have like a wristband to say what sort of like package you've got with that hotel. On the last night, he asked for the room number, which was the first time he's ever asked for it the whole holiday. I went, why do you want that all of a sudden? I mean, I'm pretty sure you're not allowed to come back to guest room. Oh, he says, oh, no, I have to have it for the drinks or something like that. I was like, right, okay. See, this is when the, the true crime instinct yeah. yeah kicks in. Yeah, I was like a bit like, why do you even want that? I was a bit like shady. like. And then um, anyway, so then he was like still standing there, you know, like when someone wants to engage with conversation. Yeah. And I was like, do you want anything else? Oh, cringy. <laughs> Yeah, and he went, your number, I went... Oh, no! I went, no, but thanks. Oh, bless you. Oh, I love your no. nose when you really don't want to do something. You're like, no, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> <laughs> but. Yeah, but listen, it's all fun. You know, it, it's always flattering, isn't it, when someone finds you attractive, so... Oh, one day, Tash, Go me. you're going to find the man and he's going to love you. As much as that kid loves corn on that video, have you seen that? Where that kid's like, oh, I love corn. Yeah. And that's what I wish for everyone. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, in the meantime, I'm enjoying dating. Yeah, we're all enjoying you dating. Yeah, I want this to last for a while. <laughs> I mean, guys, we've got a big one next month. I'm going speed dating. So. Oh. Yes. Um, there could be some great stories from that. Oh, I think we'll have to make that episode a two-parter. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh. oh hey, are you going with a friend? Yeah, I'm going with a friend, yeah. Oh, See again, true crime kicking in. Yeah. Don't go on your own. <laughs> oh, speaking of true crime, Megan on our Facebook page said something absolutely horrendous. You know Be- Becky's story last week? Yeah. Where all these people could hear the screams and of this woman getting murdered and didn't do anything. Yeah. She actually said that on her street where she lives, they're so used to hearing the foxes that nobody realised that there was a woman getting murdered over the summer. Oh my God. On her street. So yeah, that's horrendous. Oh God. Oh. Yeah, that's pretty much what I said. Awful. Yeah. Terrible. So, yeah. Foxes. Maybe we were too judgmental with the other people not doing anything. Maybe they literally just thought... That's a fox. Foxes. Yeah, maybe. Right. So we um, stop talking about shit and get on with stories? It's me to go first, isn't it? Yes. I'm going to kick us off with another series, guys, and I think this might even be longer and more terrifying than the Sally House, which I didn't think was possible. Are you reading a book with this one? I am. Ooh. And I haven't written it down. In fact, I'm reading two books. Oh. At the same time. Two books, Emma. Go on. Oh, two books, Emma. <laughs> okay, so my sources for this week are a book by Colin Wilson called Poltergeist, A Classic Story in Destructive Haunting. And the other book that I am reading is written by Richard Estep and Bill Bungay. And it's called The Black Monk of Pontefract, The World's Most Violent and Relentless Poltergeist. He sounds like a friendly chap. 
So as you might have gathered, I'm going to be talking about the Black Monk of Pontefract. Pontefract UK? Yep, we're in the UK. Up where we used to be from, Bex. I knoweth this towneth. Yes, Pontefract (laughs) was not far away from uh, where I was brought up. So, yay, another Emma, a spooky series. Yay, series three? Four? Uh, no, four, I think. So I did The London Underground, Asylum 49, The Sally House. This is my fourth. Oh, I'm excited for it. But I'm attacking a huge, very well-known case. And there is so much more than just the story that everyone knows. I didn't want to leave anything out. It'll be another few episodes before we can cover everything that the Black Monk of Pontefract has to offer. I have to say, this is possibly one of the most terrifying and baffling cases I've covered this far. So, we're in for a wild ride, ladies. Okay. This first part, it's got some spooky bits, but believe me, stick with it, because the second and third part are going to be horrendous. That sounds exciting. So instead of just jumping in with the Pritchard family, which is the case that everyone knows... I'm going to start right at the beginning, as we will see with the hauntings. They started well before that, and they continue to this day. So there's this big story that everybody knows that surrounds the Pritchard family. Okay. There's also a story of before they lived in that house, and there's also a story of when they moved out, and I'm going to cover everything. Okay. So we're going to start with the first family. So Bill and Barbara Farrar were married in 1950, five years after he'd come back from World War II. At the time, they had very little money, so they lived with Barbara's parents until being able to find a suitable house. Despite going to the council often and asking for a house, it took two years until finally accommodation became available. So around the same time that Bill and Barbara got married, Pontefract was building the foundations for a new housing estate. Checkerfield Estate was to be built on the green fields on a hill overlooking what's left of Pontefract Castle. Little did they know that they were in fact building on the site where three bloody battles had taken place during the English Civil War in the 17th century. So this had resulted in eventually the execution of Charles I. Did you guys know that we'd executed a king? I didn't know that. I had no idea. It was only the French that liked doing that. No, no, we did it. Apparently we only did it the once, but we we did it. What did he do to deserve such a thing? Well, it's a civil war, so I imagine it was just the people having an uprising Mm. against the uh, monarch. I don't know. Okay, fine. That's fine. It's not a history lesson. It's absolutely fine. And the hill itself had once been placed where the gallows ominously stood, reminding people what awaited them if they misbehaved. Aside the advantage the castle had because of its placement, which made it a key point to the royal's defence, the castle also had a bonus of a fresh water supply. So back in the day, 17th century, fresh water supplies, kind of a a posh thing to have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this was given from a well that had no doubt been made by the monks from the priory of St. John's, founded in 1090. I mean, that's such a long time ago, I'm not even sure if that's how you say that year. Do you say 1090? Is that how you say it? I don't know. Okay, it's fine. But it's both. It's 1090 and 1090. Yeah, it's the same thing. (laughs) Yeah, it's the same thing. 
So the well has an importance because, as the legend has it, there was an evil monk who would rape and kill young girls and then throw them down the well to dispose of them. I mean, that doesn't feel very monk-like. Well, I did say evil monk. You did. But it's said that when he was caught, he was executed by hanging and also thrown down the well just like his victims, which seems like fitting punishment, really. There isn't actually any evidence to these claims, and this could all just be legend. Some say it was multiple girls, some say it was just the one, and others claim that the monk's twin brother took the blame and was executed instead of the murderer. Yeah. So there's a lot of different versions of the story. Yeah. Whatever the legend, it would certainly explain a lot about number 30, East Drive, and why its haunting has been dubbed one of the most violent poltergeist hauntings in Britain. Mm. Number 30 was the last house to be built. So it was the last house to be built because they were building it over the well, so it made it complicated. So there were two houses. There were a semi-detached house. So I don't, is that like a duplex in America? I have no idea. When two houses have an adjoining wall. So it's number 30, number 79, and they both had like half of this well each under each house, yeah? Yep. So they were left to the last because it was the most complicated thing to sort out because they had to cover the well to avoid humidity and problems that it would cause, etc. But under number 30 and under number 79... There's this legendary well. Hold on. What number houses are they? 30 and 79. 30 and 79? Yeah. How are they next door to each other? Babes, I asked myself the same question. I do not know. <laughs> so they built houses up to number 30 and then skipped to 79? Or they built other houses? Well, generally, it goes... One side of the road's odd numbers and one side of the road's even, isn't it? Yeah. So I would expect it to either be 28 or 32. Yeah. Depending which way round it is. It's 79 and I've got zero explanation for it. Yeah. So two and a half years after their wedding, Bill and Barbara, plus their now baby daughter, were given the keys to number 30. But their joy over having a house for themselves would be short-lived. The council houses at the time were basically just shells, so it was up to Bill to decorate and build certain things in the house. He thought this would not be an issue, but little did he know that something would be constantly working against him. He would put up kitchen cupboards perfectly straight, only to go and put the doors on and they'd be all askew and out of place. He would put tools down and they would just vanish into thin air. And the wallpapering was possibly the most frustrating of all, he would put one piece up, and as he was putting on another piece, the first piece would peel off. He tried every type of glue in the shop, but nothing worked to keep the damn wallpaper up. So do you see what I mean? He's putting one up, staying up, he goes to yeah. the second, the first one's just peeled off. It's like some funny comedy show, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. It's I can like imagine somebody's... that happening to the Chuckle Brothers. <laughs> yeah, it's just With that ridiculous. music in the background there. You know, that, that kind yeah. of clown music while they're trying to do it. That yeah. sounded more like the hillbillies. <laughs> yeah, it kind of went wrong halfway through. That's why I abandoned. <laughs> <laughs> the mu- I know exactly the music you mean. It's literally playing in my head right now, but yeah. I don't know if I can vocalise it. 
sing it because all I've got is hillbilly banjo now. <laughs> <laughs> See, it's just no, it's not like when I do it. It's not like that. It's like oh, I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, it's more like that. That was that was better. Was that you, Becky? It's like that, isn't it? And it gets like faster and more chaotic. Yeah, yeah. Well done. That was amazing. And the sound you made in the middle, Becky, was just too much, man. What? <laughs> I tell right. you what, you can say things in your head, and then when you only try and say it, it just doesn't come out. <laughs> I think it's going to work out. <sighs> As is life. As is life. One evening, Barbara's mum offered to babysit so that the couple could have a little date night. But on their return, her mother was obviously extremely upset. She said the baby was very unsettled and she has to be taken home straight away. She'd babysat many times before when the couple lived with them without ever having any issue, so this didn't sit right with Bill, but her mother would never speak of what she'd experienced, and she would also never babysit in that house again. Okay. Barbara was also noting weird stuff. Her knickknacks... Now, I've written knickknacks, and I now realise that sounds like I'm talking about knickers, doesn't it? No. No, it reminds me of that knick-knack paddy give a dog a bone. This old man came rolling home. No, knick-knacks are like stuff you have around your house, aren't they? Yeah. That's that's what I mean, her knick-knacks, yeah. Yeah. So her knick-knacks on the mantelpiece were constantly being moved, which infuriated her as they had all to be in their places just so. She accused Bill, who of course had never touched them. He knew better not to touch them. She sounds yeah. a bit of like hard work to live with. Just like move something when she it gets infuriated. <laughs> God. <laughs> Chill out. She likes things the way she likes them. Yeah, infuriated. <laughs> it's a little bit much, isn't it? Yeah, but I actually think this is how I'd feel now if I lived with a man. I'd get really annoyed if they moved my stuff. Would you though? Because the kids do it all the time. I was worried last last uh, episode or the episode before. I can't. I have no idea what day of the week it is, but that we weren't going to be friends because I couldn't pronounce Worcestershire sauce. <laughs> 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 so I can see you getting infuriated about someone touching your stuff. Yeah, it just annoys me. Like, leave it alone. It's mine. It's not even the moving of my stuff. It's like doing something I don't want them to do. Well, she got infuriated anyway. Let's I'm just with leave. her there. Yeah. <laughs> she likes things a certain way and someone's fucking with them and she's not happy about it. Okay. Yeah. So their daughter Jane would cry all the time and wake up during the night constantly upset. When they'd lived with the in-laws, she'd always slept perfectly, so this behaviour was odd. So much so, they asked the doctor to come and see her. He did, and upon entering the building, he said, Oh... It's just like walking into a barn coming in here, which was a really a rude. Odd... <laughs> yeah, exactly. What a rude bastard. <sighs> a really odd thing for a professional and quiet man to just blurt out. He checked Jane over and said everything was fine, but maybe Barbara should try taking the baby out a little more. Barbara jumped at this as she didn't like being at the house. 
So she'd often go back to her parents and just stay there, saying to Bill that they were going to sleep over. So poor Bill was left on his own. Oh, poor Bill. So when she was at home, the usually bubbly, outgoing Barbara seemed absent and withdrawn. They conceived their second daughter at number 30. Oi, oi. Oi, oi. And unlike the first pregnancy, this one made Barbara extremely unwell and she was put at a high-risk pregnancy. But the doctor refused outright to return to that house, so she had to go to his surgery every day for injections. Blimey. The odd thing here is that when the couple eventually move, the doctor has absolutely no issues at coming to their new house. It's just something about number 30 just made him feel afraid. That's weird. Mm-hmm. There are a multitude of other odd occurrences. Milk would spill out of the bottle for no reason. Come on now, there's no use crying over spilt milk. Well, I don't know if they cried, but... <laughs> Could you imagine? <laughs> oh, spilt the milk. <laughs> the side gate would never stay shut despite having heavy bricks put against it. Oh, I bet that's annoying. Mm. Nothing would ever grow in the garden despite Bill having green fingers. And to oh, this really? day, the garden <laughs> remains. Green fingers. Oh. Uh. Green fingers are a thing. It is a thing, no, yeah. No, it just... I, just, I just imagine him like holding his fingers out, like dripping with green paint. <laughs> I've got green fingers now. Why isn't my flower growing? <laughs> your hair and knobs. <laughs> he'd he'd gardened many times previously. To I'm this. sure he did because his fingers were so green. You know, he's he had an allotment and some veggies and stuff. He knew what to do, and yeah. uh, nothing would grow in this garden. And to this day, it remains completely barren. Gosh. Religious objects would appear in the house. Barbara had never been religious, but now she just kept adding little bits here and there. There was definitely something not right with her. They would find tears in their sofas and chairs as if cut with a knife. They also found the same tears in Jane's toy pram hood. So the last straw for the Farrars was finding baby Jane with blood and scratches on her face. Oh, Oh no. Even having put her in baby mittens, just in case she was accidentally doing it to herself. But the blood and scratches continued. And one day, when Barbara heard little Jane crying, she found her with a pillow over her head. Oh my god. Yeah, and that was a nail in the coffin. Barbara bumped into her friend, Jean Pritchard who also lived on the estate, they politely chatted together until discovering that they were both unhappy in the houses where they lived. And so they decided to do a swap. Of course, Barbara didn't let on as to why she wanted to move, but the funny thing is... That's muggy. Well, no, listen, the funny thing is that Jean wanted to move as their house was also being haunted by a little ghost girl. But she didn't reveal that fact either. Fucking hell, what a pair. (laughs) Once they'd moved, the Farrars would see the apparition on on multiple occasions. It seemed that building a housing estate on a battlefield might not have been such a great idea. Who knew? It never goes well. No. See, did they know what they were building on when they built it? No, I don't think so. I don't know. I mean, somebody will have done. But, uh, well, it's money, isn't it? Money and space and this'll do. Yeah. So either way, the swap was agreed. Even without asking Bill, he was just told, we're moving. 
And so that's exactly what they did. Well, she wouldn't even let him move her knickknacks. So I'm not surprised that she'd just say, right, we're moving now. And he'd just be like, well, okay. Yes, Bill might have been a bit pussy whipped. Yeah. (laughs) Pussy whipped. (laughs) I love that. So it's now 1966. The Beatles were soaring in the charts. The Cray twins were up to no good. And Myra Hindley and Ian Brady, the Moors murderers, had finally been sentenced. And the Checkerfield estate looked just as normal as any other council estate at the time. But things were about to take a turn for the absolute worst for the Pritchard family at number 30 East Drive. It was August and a long bank holiday weekend. The Pritchards had gone away to the seaside. Well, Joe, Jean and their 12-year-old daughter Diane. Philip, their 15-year-old son, had stayed at home with his grandma Sarah. So it was a sunny day and Philip was out in the garden while Sarah stayed inside knitting. She wondered how Philip could be outside as she thought it quite chilly in the house. Then suddenly there was a huge gust of wind that slammed the door and rattled the windows. Philip came in and Sarah says, is it windy? And he's like, no, outside it's absolutely fine. They thought no more of it. Philip went to make some drinks for himself and his gran. He returned to the lounge and just stood staring at his grandma. She'd been so engrossed by her knitting that she hadn't noticed anything. But there was a chalky white powder filling the whole room as if the whitewash was disintegrating off the ceiling. However, two points make this impossible. The family had only just papered the ceiling. Nice bit of wallpaper on the ceiling. Oh, lovely. And also, more bizarrely, the dust was falling from mid-level of the room, meaning that Philip and his grandma, once she stood up, could see perfectly clearly above the dust cloud. It was falling from mid-air and mid-room height. Does that make sense? Yeah. Tash? Yeah. Like a fog, like when it touches the floor. Yes. you know what I mean. But it doesn't yeah. go all the way to the top. Yeah. Ooh. That's like, creepy dusty powdery stuff yeah so neither of them were afraid just confused as to what was going on so they went to fetch her other daughter because all this family seemed to live on the same estate so she went to fetch her other daughter called marie kelly who lived opposite and marie couldn't believe what she was seeing as she saw her own mother turn up to the house covered in this white dust she went with them to see the phenomenon and the dust was still falling and now had covered everything in a layer of white stuff. We'd better clean up this mess, said Marie, and went into the kitchen. Yeah, because you know... Oh, no, that was Barbara, wasn't it? Yeah, I was going to say, you knew it was coming home soon. (laughs) No, that was Barbara. This is Jean, but Jean is also very, very house proud. She likes clean house. Yeah, so they go to get the cleaning stuff. As she goes into the kitchen to get the stuff, she slipped in a puddle of water. She jokingly asked her ageing mother if she'd had an accident. Oh, such bants. Bants, <laughs> man. Ah, oh, 60s bants. She cleaned up the water, but as soon as she did, another puddle appeared. She mopped that one up too, but again, another one appeared after that. At this point, she's sure something must be leaking, so she pulled up the lino, only to see that the floor underneath was bone dry. None of them knew at this point that neat little puddles are a sign of poltergeist activity. Oh, well, no, I didn't know that, you know. Oh, well, neither did I. See, two book Emma, she's learning stuff. Yeah. 
There are never any splashes and they're always neat, perfectly round puddles. The plumbing also began behaving bizarrely. The taps and toilets would fill with a green, slimy foam. Ooh. So the puddles were still appearing. Marie went home and rang the water board to report a flood and they sent someone out straight after lunch. The plumber checked everything he could think of but found nothing amiss. He was a bit dumbfounded by it and just left suggesting it was a condensation, which was a ridiculous idea as they was experiencing at the time a very, very dry spell in the weather. He said he would report it to his superiors, but after he left, the puddles never reappeared again. Mm. No more puddles. That's weird. Mm. Around seven that same evening, Philip went in to see his grandma and said, It's happening again, this time in the kitchen. The work surface was covered with sugar and tea leaves. They both watched as the tea dispenser turned itself on and covered everywhere with tea. Even when the tea ran out, they could still see the button going in and out on its own. Sarah eventually finds her voice and shouts, Stop it! Philip, thinking he was being accused, said, I can't stop it, it's doing it by itself. And just as he did say that, they heard a big crash coming from the hallway. They both began to be beyond frightened and peeped through the door expecting to see something awful, but there was nothing but an empty hallway. As they stood staring, trying to see what had made the noise, the hallway light switched itself on, making both of them jump. And that's when they saw what had made the noise. A plant that usually sat at the bottom of the stairs was now halfway up the stairs without the pot. The pot was at the top of the stairs. Ah, I know what it is. What is it? It's Toy Story when they're trying to sneak around the house and they're (laughs) under the pot, under the stairs, and then they nearly got caught. That's what happened there. So it's okay, everyone. You can all calm down. Nobody panic. It's not a ghost. It's just some plastic possessed toy soldiers. Toys, which (laughs) is also very frightening. (laughs) So wait a minute. The, The plant was on the stairs, but the pot was at the top. Yeah. So the plant... Lived in a pot, obviously, at the bottom of the stairs. They heard this almighty crash. They go see the plants in the middle of the stairs and the pots at the top of the stairs. Yeah. So is the plant fallen over on the stairs or is it as if someone had picked it out of its pot and put it on the stairs? How could it fall upwards? Oh, yeah. Hmm. It could do if there's a poltergeist flowing around. Yeah, yeah. That's probably what this is. It's the only reasonable explanation, to be honest. Well, I can't understand how plant pot could do that. Well, that's defying gravity, isn't it? But it is. They're yeah. not known for moving around by themselves in general. No. So as they were looking at this scene in disbelief, another loud noise started coming from the kitchen. One of the cabinets was shaking violently like someone was trapped inside. Philip, braver guy than I am, yanked it open and it stopped instantly. Can I just say, if a cupboard starts doing that, I'm not I'm not opening it. Yeah, I wouldn't either. Sarah suggested they go get Marie again. Marie took no convincing about what they had seen. As she entered the house, the cabinets were all shaking and the plates and china inside were rattling. If the cupboard doors had been on the other side of the house, so the adjoining wall between the two houses, they would have thought that the neighbours were doing some building work or something. But no, this wall had nothing but garden on the other side of it. 
Still, Sarah, the grandma, thought she'd check and went to ask May Mountain, the next door neighbour. May Mountain? Yep, May Mountain. What a name. Yeah, I, I like know. that. That's cool. She still went to see if they'd be making any banging noises, to which she replied, quite astonished. Well, I am a mountain. So <laughs> I make noise. <laughs> so she replies, no, we thought it was you. So they've been hearing the banging as well. So the cupboard stopped shaking and Marie stayed for a cup of tea, as us Brits like to do in these kind of situations. <laughs> when in doubt, drink tea. Have a, yeah. have a cup of tea. So she stayed for a cup of tea with her mum and Philip before going home. She told them to come over if anything else happened. The pair were exhausted. Philip went up to bed and Sarah followed shortly afterwards. Also, I would not be going to bed. No. Yeah, all, all the kitchen cupboards shaking. Oh, well, I've got to bed now. Yeah, no, I'd be going, all right, Marie, I'll just go get my bag and my PJs and I'm coming to yours. But yeah. no, they went to bed. So Philip goes at first, Sarah follows shortly afterwards and she pops into his room to check on him. As she looked at him, she noticed that he was staring wide-eyed behind her. She turned to see what he was staring at and saw his wardrobe swaying and tipping. Oh, for fuck's sake. It's then that the pair left the house and went to sleep at Marie's. They got tucked up in the spare beds, but Marie stayed up with her husband, Vic. Something didn't sit right with Vic about this whole thing, so he called the police. They came and searched the house, but finding no intruders or no signs of forced entry, they left. Vic asked Marie, what about your friend, Mr. O'Donnell? So he's another person who lives on the estate. He likes ghosts and things. Maybe he can help. It was really late at this point, but the couple couldn't imagine sleeping, so they decided to walk to his house to see if he was up. Sure enough, his lights were still on. As Marie explained what had been going on, Mr. O'Donnell grabbed his coat to go and investigate straight away. I think he got a bit excited, like, fuck yeah, Yeah. go get our ghost on. But he got his hat and everything. Yep. Like Christmas for him. (laughs) So they were met with a big gust of cold air as they entered the property, but nothing more happened. Mr. O'Donnell went on to tell the couple about poltergeists and that it was most likely a manifestation of someone's unconscious mind, in this case, probably Phillips. To which Vic replied, well, nothing's going to happen then because he's asleep at our house. Around 1.45, Mr. O'Donnell agreed they were wasting their time and went to get his coat. They're funny poltergeists, you know, he said. They do all sorts of weird stuff, like ripping up photographs and such. He left, and as Marie and Vic were also getting ready to leave, they heard a loud crash. They switched the light back on, and on the floor were two pictures, glass shattered everywhere, and the photo of Jean and Joe Pritchard on their wedding day slashed up with a knife. Oh, my God. It had been listening to their conversation all along. The next day, Philip and his grandma returned to the house. All was quiet and it stayed quiet until the next day when the Pritchards returned from their mini-break. They told them everything that had happened and as Joe listened with astonishment, he said, What do you mean, knocks? What kind of knocks? And just as he asked, he heard three bangs. Bang, bang, bang. And a gust of cold air blew past them, rattling all the windows. And then peace resumed. For now, 
at least. He's so dramatic. And that is end of part one. Yeah, I'm liking this. Yeah, me too. And believe me, it's going to get so much horrifyingly worse. Is it? How dramatic are Poltergeist, though? This one in particular. Yeah, like... I think this is the worst one I've ever come across. Because he was proper on time then. He was like, what what banging? And then all of a sudden, bang, bang, bang. And then <laughs> whoosh. Cold, cold. Ghost is like, now's my time yeah. to shine. <laughs> whoosh, whoosh, whoosh. Bang, bang, bang. Yeah, and then he just left. Yeah. Well, I Im- imagine how horrific it'd be you just sat in your living room and you hear a load of rattling and it's all your kitchen having a little cupboard party what was with the dust i found that creepier than every anything i've never heard of that before no that'd be really annoying as well wouldn't it oh yeah it was just everything was covered and it actually said in the book that her tea was full of it and she was not impressed oh no no i could imagine exactly Becky, before we go on to your story, we're going to play a little ad for another podcast called Perhaps It's You. So this podcast is hosted by Samantha and Liv, and they do a podcast about unsolved mysteries. You guys heard of unsolved mysteries? Yes. We mentioned it again, didn't we, about the Sally house. They were one of the ones that wanted to get in on the action. So these ladies basically are watching Unsolved Mysteries from the very first episode, ongoing, and uh, yeah, just talking about their thoughts and ideas about the cases and generally laughing at people's mustaches. (laughs) (laughs) They sound great. (laughs) Love it. So yeah, here's their promo. Why, hello, friends and enemies. Hello, friends and enemies. Friends, enemies. Hello, friends and enemies. Gather round. In theory, this is an Unsolved Mysteries podcast. Perhaps it's you. That's the name of the show. I'm Samantha. I'm Liz. We're one of many Unsolved Mysteries rewatch podcasts watching the original Robert Stack episodes of Unsolved Mysteries. We're here to complain about the thing we're supposed to like, Unsolved Mysteries. Unsolved Mysteries. That was a great shot. You're doing the Lord's work. (laughs) I will say right off the bat that this is going to be a good mustache season. (laughs) I like to think that Robert Stack wore a full suit just to like take out the garbage. (laughs) Just all the time. Yeah. Are you ready to solve some mysteries with us? The stack is back. That's... Man, that's really terrible. I love, I yeah, it is. But I love saying it. <laughs> We're here to talk to you about some fucking mysteries. <laughs> we sure are. We're on like all those podcast things, or you can list it out perhaps it's you.com. We hope this brought a little mystery into your life. Keep cackling and keep barking, everybody. <laughs> yeah, thanks, girls. Yeah. No, check them out. They're funny. They're funny, especially if you like the show. Unsolved mysteries. It's uh quite amusing. I think it's it's quite a good concept because when you watch things like Unsolved Mysteries, you watch it and then and then you're kind of sat there in the dark when it's finished thinking, Oh my god, I want to talk about this to some with someone. Yeah. So that sounds really good. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Okay. Bex. Murder. Murder. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I have to work now. It's it's your time to shine. And um, my hussy band has just brought in a cup of tea for me, so we're very on topic, being all British. Yeah. Do you want to know something that is that constantly blows my mind every time that I hear it? That the Monopoly man hasn't got a monocle? (laughs) No. 
so I'm not big into these films, so I think this is where I can be forgiven. Star Wars, and you know it's called a lightsaber. Yeah, you thought it was lightsaber, didn't you? Yeah, but every time I see that it's actually a lightsaber, my mind's blown all over again. Because it makes so much sense. It's like, why did you ever think it was a lightsaber? I thought it was a lightsaber. And then you know it's... Oh, you did? Yeah, yeah, I think loads of people did. Yeah, I think I must have thought that when I was younger. Is a saber a type of knife? Yeah, a saber's like a sword. So is a saber a regular sword and then they're just putting light in front of it because it's a beam? Well, it's like a laser saber, isn't it? But lightsaber sounds So a saber, a, a saber is a laser? No, a saber is a type of sword. Okay. See? This is why it's mind-boggling. But it makes so much sense. Lightsaber makes zero sense. Nobody's saving any light with those things. <laughs> it depends how it's done, if it's a battery or if it's a plug-in. <laughs> well, it's a force, isn't it? Oh, fuck knows. I don't know. <laughs> oh, this is painful. Come on, girl. <laughs> fuck me. <laughs> anyway... I can see you two having that conversation when you're like 85. Like, is it a lightsaber? <laughs> oh, what is the force? <laughs> right. Anyway, I thought I'd stick with the great country that is Australia. Yep. And do another oh, good eye, mate. serial killer, the good eye, mate. I've heard Australia has some serious murdering going on yeah yeah it's well like we said before there's so many well this guy doesn't do that uh as you'll see later but there's just so many places you can just like dump a body and no one will ever find it or they'll find it a long time afterwards yeah i'm not ready to be depressed no well get ready (laughs) (laughs) it's gonna happen if you like it or not go for it go for it (laughs) right so, Eric Edgar Cook, and the name Edgar always reminds me of the Aristocats. Oh, yes, that the baddie butler. Edgar. Yeah. So, he was born in February 1931 in Victoria Park, a suburb of Perth. So, we're still in Perth as well. He was born in a park? In Victoria Park. Oh, is that a, a town? It's a suburb. Yeah. Okay. When I was reading that as well, I was like, he was born in a park. (laughs) I thought the same thing, and it's my notes. (laughs) Same brain. Yeah. He was the eldest of three children. Eric was born with a cleft lip and palate, for which he had one surgical operation when he was three months old, and another when he was three and a half. The operations were not really successful and left him with a slight facial deformity. Oh, that's not fair. Oh, that's sad. And he spoke in a mumble. Yeah, this guy's story at the beginning, you can't, you are going to feel sorry for him. That makes me think that yeah. by the end we're not. Yeah, absolutely not. Okay. So, you know, don't feel sorry for him too hard. Okay. But it isn't very good. Him and his two siblings fell victim to their father's violent temper, but especially Eric. His father was an alcoholic and was in no way loving or affectionate to any of his children. His wife, so Eric's mum, got pregnant and they, because of the times, they had to get married. He had to kind of do good by her. He wasn't ready to have family. 
and was just a complete asshole. Well, then he should have put something on the end of it, shouldn't he? Yeah, and also not had two more. Fuck's sake. Exactly. Jesus. You know what happens. Ah. Maybe he didn't. Maybe he didn't. Silly, silly man. Mm. The only time he interacted with his children was to beat them. Eric would be beaten quite a lot, and he also would be beaten when he tried to protect his mother from injuring the same violence. Young Eric had nowhere to escape from torment, it seemed, as not only was he abused at home, but he was mercilessly bullied at school because of his cleft palate. It's not too bad in the photos that I've seen, but kids are evil. Yeah, kids are arseholes. I, yeah. I can't help feel bad for this kid. He's got a shit life. Yeah, and it isn't very nice. Eric was all too aware of the perceived imperfection on his face. So this made him very, very insecure and just very, very socially awkward, very, very introverted. So to avoid the routine beatings from his father, he would run the streets at night and when he didn't return home after a certain hour, he'd hide underneath the house. And he wasn't the only one to do that because his mother would do the same thing. Oh, his mum would hide under the house. Yeah, he must have had a crawl space underneath the house and uh, they'd hide under there because his father was an absolute piece of shit. Eric was frequently hospitalised for head injuries and had suspected brain damage because of his accident proneness. Oh, bless him. He's checking a lot of boxes, isn't he? Mm, Yeah, he is. The head trauma, the shitty... Shitty home life. Mm. Bullying. It's not a good mix. I mean, he's poster boy, isn't he, really? Does he like fires? Unfortunately, a lot of people do have a shitty upbringing, but they don't turn into what this man turns into. No, this is true. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Later, it was questioned whether these accidents were due to repressed suicidal tendencies. Eric also had recurrent headaches and once was admitted to an asylum because of this. Because at the time, he reportedly had blackouts. They sent him to asylum because he had a headache. Can you imagine that conversation? Like, oh, why are you here? Oh, I get a headache. Why are you in here? Oh, I, I like eating my own poo. Yeah. <laughs> but there's some right conversations in asylum. But I like eating my own poo. <laughs> <laughs> On Sunday, I have it with sprinkles. <laughs> But it doesn't seem like a valid reason to go to an asylum, just getting headaches. Were the headaches not caused by the fucking brain trauma? I think it's because of the blackouts as well. I don't know if in the blackouts he literally blacked out or he was doing normal things and couldn't remember. Okay, I can understand that more than just going to the madhouse because you have a headache. (laughs) For a headache, yeah. His blackouts stopped after he had an operation in 1949. What operation that was, I don't know. Was it a lobotomy? No, it wasn't. Uh, It might have been something to do with his lip again or something to do with the head injury that he had. As a teenager, he didn't have many friends, so he decided to audition to join the local church choir, but was denied. So even the church was like, nope. How can a church deny you? I don't know. Either he was really shit at singing... Or maybe he maybe was a little bit of a creep. <laughs> Shit, seems harsh. Seems harsh. So the, the, the priest can't be like, no, no, mate, mate, 
your shit at singing, he'd just be like, oh no. So I don't know whether he was discriminated against because of his cleft lip or what. I don't know why he was rejected. Uh, but, That's harsh, but man. they rejected him. And I kind of feel bad for him that even the church was like, nope. <laughs> Maybe they knew, like, they could sense the evil... I don't know. Maybe he was, cre- yeah. Maybe he was a bit, a bit creepy, and you know, you get that vibe from some people, don't you? Eric's frustration at all the rejection, and even from the church, would result in him burning down the local church. I knew it. Did you hear me earlier when I said, "Does he like fires?" Yeah. Well, he's ticked another box. I bet he wets the bed and all, doesn't he? I don't know. I won't be surprised. Oh, yeah, he was that scared of his dad. I would not be surprised. No, 100%, yeah. His dad was awful. So he would get caught for that and he'd serve 18 months in jail for his crime. Once he got out, he began again to engage in petty crime, breaking and entering, stealing from houses in the local area. Eric would even cut out newspaper clippings of his crimes and proudly show them off, thinking that maybe this will impress people into being his friend oh like he was a cool kid yeah despite his love for petty crime things eventually started to head in the right direction for eric as he arrived at adulthood joining the permanent military forces at the age of 21 he hoped for a clean slate and to finally be accepted but his newfound happiness would be short-lived as he was discharged three months after he enlisting after it was discovered that he had a juvenile criminal record. Oh shit, so you can't have a record and be in the military? Back then you weren't, I'm not sure about now, or unless oh. you have to declare it. Oh. I don't know. I think it probably depends what it is, doesn't it? I, don't, I honestly don't know though. Yeah, burning down a church, and even though no one was injured... Still, you know, would you be friends with someone who burnt down a church? (laughs) I don't know. So after he was kicked out of the army, he would meet a girl. And on the 14th of November, 1953, then age 22, Eric married a 19-year-old waitress, Sarah Lavin. Well, there you go. She's not rejected him. She's going to be okay, isn't she? Yeah. I found a few pictures of him and his wife, and they genuinely look happy. She's got a lovely face, rosy cheeks, dark wavy hair. She looks like a like a super nice, happy, no- normal person. Fabulous. Yeah. So now is the point where he could have turned his life around. A woman that loves him, married, baby on the way, normalcy. Sounds great. Yeah. Should we should we just leave it at that and end on a happy note? Or <laughs> no. <Aww. laughs> Still got quite a few pages to go. <laughs> of nasty things so they ultimately had a large family of seven children four boys and three girls it's a lot of kiddies yeah but it was the times you know they they loved popping them out back then didn't they yep instead of getting an average nine to five job like the most of us he made a very different choice choice that would haunt perth throughout the late 50s and 60s is this perth again yep I wow. said it was Perth again. Perth, man. Mm-hmm. It was the 80s and 90s, though, last week, wasn't it? This is the 50s and 60s. Yeah. Isn't it weird that my story was the 50s and 60s as well? Very strange. 
Oh. Theme. Uh, yeah. Well, you get the crimes back in the 50s and 60s. Like, there's no DNA and stuff. Hang on, wait. Just sorry, I'm interrupting you. Yes. Last week, well, this, yeah, last week was the same. You did a 90s story and the Sally House was in the 90s. Ooh. We're mind-linked. You two are so in sync, it's unreal. Isn't it amazing? Yes. Anyway, please continue, my dear, with your horrific stuff. Yes. I'm getting to the horrificness. While still living a family life, and I have no idea how he had the time to do all of the shit that I'm about to tell you with seven children, and then a lot of burglaries and everything else that he does. Oh, he's still up to that kind of shit. Oh, yeah, he can't. He he just loves, loves doing that. Eric escalated from break-ins and theft to brutal and merciless killings. On the night of 19th of January 1959, he breaks into 33-year-old Panina Berkman's apartment. He sneaks up to her room where Panina was sleeping, and then all of a sudden she wakes up and sees Eric's dark figure looming over her. She screams, and he he kind of jumps on her. And in a struggle, she scratches all of his face with her fingernails. Was he wearing a kimono? Because this sounds very familiar. (laughs) 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 Unable to calm her down, obviously, or control her, Eric decides to stab her. So he stabs her in the face. Listen, that actually feels like the logical way to go. Well, he could just leave. She didn't see his face. <laughs> Don't be so unreasonable, Becky. <laughs> just be like, oh, I'm sorry. I was just trying to burgle you. I'm going to leave now. Bye. So unable to control her, Eric stabs her in the face and then plunges the knife into her heart. Neighbours heard screams and reported it to police. So Yay! Up on the neighbours. Big up, neighbours. Despite an intense investigation, police would make no arrests as there were no witnesses and no evidence to lead them anywhere. Then we go on to midnight on Australia Day, 1963. So Australia Day is always on the 26th of January. And I don't know why, but the word Australia Day makes me really laugh. It just sounds really funny. What is it? What are they celebrating? It's like their celebration holiday. If we had it, it'd be called England Day. <laughs> it just makes me laugh. Um, I didn't really look into what it don't is. Don't you have England Day? Like, isn't it St. George? Yeah, but we don't call it England Day. It's called St. George. I don't know. It just sounds adorable Yeah, but that's because Australia's a colony, isn't it? So it will be like when they got their independence or something yeah. like that, won't it? I don't know. I should have probably looked into it a little bit. Gary will know. Yeah. Gary, what's Australia yeah, Day? Tell us. Please. And what do you do? How do you celebrate Are it? The fireworks? We want to know. Oh, there'll be barbecues. I bet there'll be barbecues. Oh, no, January. Oh, no, but January's... Isn't January summer in Australia? Yeah, 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 yeah. Mm. I never know. The mind boggles. How can January be hot? Well, because they're, like, upside down to us, aren't they? So they're the other way around. Yeah, I understand the specifics, but... <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> they're upside down to us. <laughs> Australia are in the upside down. But their Christmas is in summer, isn't it? Yeah, that is that is mind blowing. Yeah, they got the beach. Mental. Yeah. Is it true that their toilets flush the other way around, or is that a myth? Well, they. Mu- uh. Yeah. 
Gary? Yeah, but because they're upside down, when they do go to the toilet, they have to close the lid really fast. If not, the water falls out. (laughs) (laughs) All I could ever think of is, with toilets in Australia, is that that you have to check the toilet when you go to it to make sure there's no massive spider or snake in the toilet. I mean, I think that's the truth. Oh, yeah. Everything in Australia wants to kill you. Yeah. Even the people, apparently. Yeah. Yeah. Stay safe, Gary. <laughs> My um, grandma, because we've got family in Australia, big it up to the Perth family. And they're from Perth, so Ooh, well done for not being murdered. My grandma <laughs> went over went over to visit them. Uh, it was quite a few we- years ago now. And when she was there, there were these like weird centipede caterpillar things, like big black things. And I'm swear, I'm swear when she told me, it almost looked like a little, imagine a caterpillar with like a shell on her. On it, if you know what I mean, like a cross between oh, an armadillo and a caterpillar. And a caterpillar, yeah, I'm sure. Unless I just imagined that the its appearance up, that's what they look like. And apparently, they're they're kind of they're everywhere, and that you can get them in the house and everything. But they're like quite big and little grossed out to you know like British people because we we don't we don't ever see them. Are they dangerous? No, they're not dangerous at all. But they're just like kind of everywhere at certain times of the year if i was in australia whatever animal i saw i'd be like it's gonna kill me get it yeah, out but like well that i'm dead now that's touched me yeah yeah and uh, my grandma woke up in the middle of the night and felt some on her lip oh no and it was a fucking across her lip like a mustache <laughs> and she was like <laughs> and like chucked it off and uh, didn't ev- didn't sleep very well after that <laughs> So yeah, that that put me off uh, going to Australia even more. Can I just ask one more question to Gary about Australia before moving on to the horrendous stuff? <laughs> yeah. Gary, I hope you're taking notes, by the way. You might need to rewind and write down as we go along with our questions. The last one, Gary, promise. Are koalas nice? No, they all have chlamydia. What? Oh yeah, they do, yeah, yeah. There is a chlamydia problem. Yeah, there's a chlamydia problem because it's not very good because it affects their fertility. Yeah, but does that does that make them not nice? <laughs> Would you be happy if you had chlamydia? It's a wild animal, isn't it? Well, I don't know. I've seen videos of koalas coming and like drinking out of people's water bottles and being all cuddly, but I've also heard they're not very nice. What's the deal with koalas? Good or not good? Well, I think if you think some people are nice, some people are not nice. I think it just depends on the koala. <laughs> Becky, that's a funny answer. <laughs> and if it's pissed off about its but, chlamydia. If it's had its morning uh, eucalyptus leaf or not. <laughs> Is chlamydia itchy? Because that would be annoying. And I could. I don't know much about chlamydia. Becky's being very quiet. <laughs> no, I'm, just, I'm just, just trying to think. Do koalas have those pointy sloth fingers? Because if, if they do, having a scratch, that could be dangerous. They have got big claws, but I don't think they're quite as claw-like as a sloth. Yeah. That's what I was thinking of, not chlamydia as much. And then also, bonus point, if you know what caterpillars I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah. What are the armadillo slash caterpillar things? And did I make that up? Tell us about koalas, because they look fucking adorable, (laughs) and I love them, and I want them all. Yeah, apart from when they're wet. Have you seen a wet koala? Terrifying. Not nice. Terrifying. 
They just remind me of Furbies. You know, not Furbies, Gremlins. Yes, they do look like you that. Know, they remind me but of the that. the fluffy Q Gremlins. And then, no, well, yeah, but then any minute now, any minute now, they're going to turn into the crazy after midnight Gremlins. Well, it's because they've got itchy bits. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you get itchy from chlamydia. I think you just get a like an achy womb. Oh, I honestly don't know. I have no idea. I about mean, any again, sexual transmitted infection. That would be annoying and would put me in a bad mood. Yeah, yeah, it wouldn't be great. Anyway, sorry. Crack on. Yeah. So, <laughs> just before midnight on Australia Day, nineteen sixty-three, which is the twenty-sixth of January. Shop owner Nick August and barmaid Rowena Reeves parked up in their car and are having a quiet drink and a chat, which you can tell it's the 50s because you don't like normally park up in your car and have a drink. It's not really a thing anymore. No, it's like Greece, isn't it? That's the kind of thing they do in Greece. Yeah. Whereas now you're not allowed to have alcohol open in your car, right? I don't know. No, 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 you're not. Anyway, they were they weren't driving, they were parked. They were having a, a chat and a drink. So Rowena glanced out of her car window and saw a man stood there staring at them. Nope. So she thought Nope, that's, that's a bit weird. Yeah, no, that's horrifying. Um, don't like it. Don't stare at people, it's weird. Yeah. And I don't think I need to tell you who that man was. Mr. Eric. Eric wasn't known to them. He didn't know who they were. They didn't know who he was. So Rowena mentions it to Nick and that he was just like, I'll just ignore him. No, that's not the normal thing to do. No, you could drive away. Yeah, he wasn't staring into the window. He was like further back. He's not like he was pressed up against their window. That's worse. Window. He's just stood in the distance looking at them. Yeah, staring. I mean, I feel like they were in a dogging spot. Yeah. Maybe Maybe he was like, are they? Are they not? Anyway, he wouldn't stop staring. And Rowena said to Nick again, look, he is staring at us and he's not going away. So Nick rolled his window down, asked the guy what his problem was and told him to clear off. Oh, no, Nick. Mm, That's when Eric raised a gun. Oh, Fuck a doodle doo. Oh my god, that escalated quick, yeah. didn't it? Rowena sees it and then pushes Nick's head down just as Eric shoots the gun. A bullet hits Nick in the neck and slices it open. Shit. Then he hits Rowena in the wrist. Yeah. So Nick somehow, while everyone's screaming and windows are smashing and getting shot and everything... Nick somehow manages to gather himself enough to start the car and speed away. As they were driving away, the gunman tries to shoot the car, but misses everyone. And thankfully, they manage to drive to a nearby hospital and get medical care on time, and they both survive. Thank goodness. Nick went into surgery to fix his neck, and it, like, grazed it. Luckily, it hadn't touched anything too important. Well, he owes his life to his bird there, didn't he? Yeah. And Rowena was hit in her wrist, but it hit it in a way that it kind of then shattered and went up towards her elbow, you know, like with all the shrapnel of the bullet. Oh, what a mess. It was quite a messy injury for her. She was in a cast for quite a while. 
So Eric sees this as a little bit of a failure as he was unsuccessful in killing his first mark of the evening. So he decided to wander the street and see what other victims he can find. Oh, he's literally just out. He's like, I'm going to go and kill someone. Yeah. So he's wandering the streets and then he looks up and sees an apartment balcony door open. Oh, no. And as he climbs up some stairs and over a railing, he finds 29-year-old accountant and volunteer lifesaver Brian Weir asleep in his bed. From about one meter away, Eric raises his gun and shoots him point blank in the head. Oh, fuck. Oh, my God. The force of the shot throws Brian into the air, but the bullet hit his head a certain way and Brian survives, but in a vegetative state for the next three years. So he was actually murdered that night, but his body just took a while to catch up. So he died three years that later. awful. That's horrendous. Three years later, but, you know, he was never the same. He, was, he never woke up. Yeah. Fucking hell. Awful. How awful is that, Frex? He had a loving brother who adored him and looked after him, and it just dragged it out for his poor brother i mean i suppose he had hope in the beginning that he might come round. no awful awful then still not finished he decided to walk a few streets over again and finds 19 year old john sturkey sleeping on a back veranda and also shoots him in the head then he goes to a nearby house tries the door it's locked so he rings the bell oh my god yeah when a blurry-eyed 54-year-old George Foreman Walmsley comes to the door and opens it, Eric shoots him on his doorstep. His wife and daughter were in the home but were unharmed. He's just gone, like, fucking mental. This is senseless. There's no rhyme or reason to it. No, not at all. And George, unfortunately, managed to make it to the hospital, but he'd die. About an hour after he got there. Jesus. Oh my God. These poor, poor people. Mm. So he's now shot five people in one night. Yeah. Fucking hell. Killed three. Well, killed two, but soon to be three. Three, yeah. And, um... Badly injured another two. Yeah. He had no set MO, killing seemingly at random. And his ways of choosing out his victims varied. That was very opportunistic. Even though he'd planned to do it, it was just wrong place, wrong time for people. The press at the time were absolute fucking twats and printed the full names of the two survivors, Nick and Rowena. Oh, he's not going to go back for them, is he? No. They survived, but they were terrified that the killer would come back and try and silence them. Well, yeah, he would be. Yeah. So his very bizarre killing spree left Perth absolutely terrorised. Poor Perth. Just keeps happening. Yeah. Eric's behaviour was strange and inconsistent for a killer, which threw the police off the scent all the time. And you'll see later as well, he also really very, very random what he does every time. It changes every time. He's reminding me a bit of the Night Stalker, Richard Ramirez, because he didn't really have an MO, did he? He was just like any anything, just killing yeah, left, yeah. right and centre. Well, this guy's nickname in the press was the Night Caller. Okay, so there you go. So he's a similar nickname as well. So the fact that he did everything randomly... It still remains unknown if this was intentional or not. Or the fact that maybe if he has got slight brain damage, that his brain was firing all differently all the time. 
So three weeks after this killing spree, he would kill again. He would break into 24-year-old Lucy McDrill's home and he went into her bedroom and as he's going into her room, he knocks over a photo frame, which wakes her up. Oh, no. He then strangles her to death with his hands. Then with a telephone wire. Then he crosses a line. The necrophilia line. Oh, no! Oh, for God's sake. And then after he was finished with her, he took her body into the garden. He then abuses her corpse with a whiskey bottle. What the fuck? Mm-hmm. What? Ugh. The next day, neighbours find her body with the whiskey bottle cradled in her arms. That's fucking sick, man. And it's after that murder that guy. the press started calling him the night caller. Ugh. He also killed a woman called Gillian McPearson Brewer, a Melbourne heiress who he struck with a hatchet and stabbed with scissors. Jesus. But for this murder, a poor guy called Daryl Beamish, who was a deaf mute, was convicted for her murder and was sentenced to death. Oh my God. Did they do it? Did he die? I'll tell you later. No, he didn't get killed, but... It was a whole thing, I'll explain later, trying to get him off. The police all over this case were terrible. They were awful to this guy and kind of preyed on him because he was a deaf mute and couldn't really communicate in a normal way. And they used that to say that he was guilty and forced out like a um, forced confession from him. You know, it was a coerced confession. Six months later, more killings. One evening, he shot a babysitter, Shirley McLeod, while she was sat on the sofa. The kids that she was looking after were upstairs asleep. She wasn't the family's usual babysitter, and this was the first time she was sitting for them as like a replacement for their babysitter. Oh my god. Poor love. He just kind of shot her through the window while she was sat on the sofa. But finally, a fingerprint was recorded from this crime scene. On another occasion, he broke into a property and shot a couple as they slept. On other occasions, he broke into people's homes and like tried to steal things and then shot them. How have they not caught him, though? Mm. The shootings that Eric carried out were executed with uh, several different rifles, which, again, kind of threw the police off. When he murdered up close, he varied his weapons. Some victims were stabbed with knives or scissors. Others were brutally swung at with an axe. And as the bodies piled up, his sanity just seems to be kind of wavering as well. It just gets more and more weird. And he starts killing people with his car in hit and runs. So this brings us to a little side story of John Button and Rosemary Anderson. So Rosemary was John Button's girlfriend. On the 9th of February, 1963, she had spent the evening with John Button because it, he was, it was his 19th birthday. While they were at the party, they had a minor argument, which escalated a little bit to her deciding to leave. So she left his house and walked home. John followed her in his car and kept driving past her, trying to get her to come back and also kind of trying to get her to get into his car so that he can take her home. At one stage, John parked his car to smoke a cigarette and then decided to go past her one more time to try and get her to get in his car so he can take her home. As he drove down the road, he discovered her lying on the ground beside the road and John would pick her up and take her to the local hospital. 
police became involved and interviewed John, who explained his story. Police did not believe him. They're just thinking, right, no, abusive boyfriend, he's gone and killed his girlfriend. And they forced, like, they coerced a, a confession out of him. Fucking They apparently hell. got violent with him at one point. At one point he was hiding under the desk because he was so scared and so upset. That's and he was only awful. 19 at the time. And they pulled him out from under the desk and and it was a whole thing. It was really not very nice. So he um, gets charged with her murder. Bloody hell. Then comes the day that hopefully things start looking a little bit up. So one day, an elderly couple was walking along the road and the older lady decided to take a snipping from a bush at the side of the road because she wanted to plant it in her garden. And as she pulled on the bush... A rifle fell out. Oh, my God. So they notified police and they took the rifle and ran ballistics on it. And it came back showing that it matched to the babysitter killing. So police got a very similar rifle and put it back under the bush and tied like a um, bit of fishing wire to it. So that if someone tried to take it, it'd pull on this wire and they, they wouldn't be able to take the rifle. They set up like a stakeout operation hoped that the killer would come back for it. They wait for over two weeks until finally the killer does come back to retrieve the rifle. As Eric pulled the car up and he started walking over to the bush and they saw him bend down and try and pick up the rifle and that's when the police closed in. And when they got Eric and arrested him, they also found a bullet casing that matched one of the killings in Eric's car. So, Eric, after... Initially denying everything, Eric would eventually crack after one of the detectives, Max Baker, snapped at him and said, Cookie, you're gonna hang. You know, there's no doubt about it. You've got a wife and kids. Think of them. And then think about whether you're going to be dragged to the gallows like a mongrel dog or whether you're going to go down like a man. Oh, fucking hell, man. So I kind of really want someone to quote that in a really cool, like, cop Australian accent. Cookie? That's not... I don't know. It must have been a thing. Sounds like a term of endearment, doesn't it? Mm. Ah, it's because he's called Cook. Ah! His last name was Cook. Not the biscuit. No, I was thinking of the biscuit. I've only just figured that out. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, Cook began confessing to his many crimes, including eight murders, 14 attempted murders. He was convicted on a charge of murdering one of the guys in the spree where he shot them in the head, Mr. Sturkey. That was one of the five Australia Day shooting victims. Was that the guy who was asleep in his veranda? Yeah, the second guy that got shot in the head. Yeah. The 19-year-old. Yeah. Eric had a very good memory of the details of the crimes that he's committed no matter how long ago that he committed them, he even remembers what he burgled from people's houses. And considering there were over 250 burglaries that he had committed. Jesus Christ. Yeah. Uh, well, pretty um, detailed. Cook at first would plead not guilty on the grounds of insanity. I mean, he does get headaches. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and he got put away for that. Yeah. At trial, Eric's lawyers claimed that he had schizophrenia. This claim was dismissed after the director of the Straight Mental Health Services 
testified that he was sane. But the state would not allow any independent psychiatric specialists to examine Eric. So only the state specialists were allowed to look at him. Which I think isn't a thing now. So he wasn't actually seen by anybody that like knew about mental illness, is that what you're saying? No, he was looked at by a specialist, but that was on the state side. Oh, okay. So like, yeah. So not neutral? No. Right. He was okay. kind of for the prosecution. Yeah. Eric was convicted of willful murder on the 28th of November 1963 after a three-day trial by jury, and he was sentenced to death. So that was in 1963. A cook was hanged at 8am on the 26th of October 1964. Oh, so that didn't take very long. No, I don't know why. Like now they're on death row for a long time in general. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Hanging in 63. That's shocking, isn't it? Mm. Well, they were still chopping people's heads off into the 70s, weren't they, Beth? In France, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, they loved a good guillotine. Ten minutes before the sentence was carried out, Eric swore on the Bible that he had killed Brewer and Anderson. So those were the people that Mr. Button and Mr. Beamish were convicted of killing. Yeah. So he admitted that it was his fault. Oh, okay. Well, that's something. Yeah. He had previously rejected these claims, but he wanted to come clean before meeting his maker. Eric was the last person to be hanged in the state of Western Australia. Oh. It seems like a shame. It seems like they should bring that back for uh, Mr. Edwards. Yeah, piece of shit. Yeah. At least this guy confessed to everything. Yeah. Yeah. At least there's that, but still. Still an evil... Oh, yeah, horrendous piece of shit. I mean, I think in nowadays, there definitely was mental health issues there. I don't know. I think of a bit of evilness, but yeah, I think there was quite a lot of mental issues going I on. I mean, there's bound to be like PTSD and all sorts of trauma from his childhood and stuff. Yes, definitely. Not trying yeah. to excuse the guy whatsoever, but he did clear the other people's names, confessing to what were in fact his crimes. Yeah. And that's, that's a good thing because I, I don't feel like the guy from last week would have done that. No, definitely no, not. No, absolutely not. Well, he still says that it's not him. Well, he can fuck off. Yeah, he's a wanker. But despite spilling everything to the police, Mr. Button and Mr. Beamish would remain in prison for years. Why? And it was actually only until a journalist called Estelle Blackburn, whose intrepid foot-slogging work would uncover the miscarriage of justice and police corruption that would eventually lead to both men being freed. But why weren't they letting them out? Did they not want to admit that they fucked up? Yeah, because they forced... They forced the confessions, yeah. From both of them, from a young 19-year-old and a a A man that was a deaf-mute, yeah. Fuckers. Yeah. Estelle, who was looking into this and was trying to get the justice and get these out of prison, she said that she she managed to get hold of 10 boxes of police files and inside the boxes were clues that would take her across Australia over to New Zealand, finding key witness accounts and all of other evidence and would eventually force an appeal. Apparently false confessions are the second most common reason for wrongful imprisonment. So this is a bit what she managed to uncover about Button. 
when Mr. Button said to his lawyer that before the lawyer arrived that he was being mistreated by police and uh, that actually got physical with him, he told John at the time, John Button, that uh, the jury will never believe that the police would do that sort of thing. If you try and tell them that the police beat you up, we've lost. They're going to say you're a liar. They're going to say that you're going to lie about everything and they'll hang you. (sighs) This is awful. So his own defense lawyer was like, we can't go that way. We can't tell the truth about what happens because you're just going to lose. After hours and hours of being shouted at, even throwing punches at one point, he said that he eventually just caved and he just wanted to get out of there. So the, the police wrote the confession out for him on the day of his 19th birthday. Yeah, he uh, signed it. That's when uh, the deal was sorted and he was put into prison. John Button served five years in prison and was only released in 1968. And Mr. Beamish did 15 years. Oh my God, that poor man. The Court of Criminal Appeal in uh, 2002 quashed Mr. Button's conviction and Mr. Beamish was acquitted three years later. In both cases, the appeal judges found that the murders had probably been committed by Cook and the police never apologised to Mr. Beamish and now 70-year-old father and grandfather. What, no compensation, nothing? No compensation, no apologies, nothing. He was acquitted, but that's it. Nothing. That's really scary. Yeah. So like Estelle Blackburn, Mr. Button is now a campaigner for justice reform. Oh, bless him. And that's it. That's Mikesh. The murderer got put down. The murderer got put down. Yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah, the murderer got what was coming to him. That's what I meant. You normally get an MO. And uh, he was just really killing whatever and whoever. He and... was just batshit crazy. Yeah, absolutely insane. Oh, I don't know. As awful as it is because he killed so many completely innocent people who were just like wrong place at the wrong time the scariest thing for me is the two guys that sat in prison after having done fuck all yeah it's disgusting isn't it and they've lost like one was 15 years and zero apologies zero compensation that's that's fucking terrifying yeah we do it to uh minorities all the time there's so many people that are sat in prison it does, yeah, it does yeah, make you wonder it happens how, all the time. how many people are incarcerated that aren't criminals. Yeah, it's yeah. shocking, isn't it? It's fucking scary, that's what it is. Yeah, Jesus. I'll have to do a few cases on miscarriage of justice, but they're so, I mean, they're important to talk about, but they're so frustrating and awful to research because you just get so angry for these people and Mm. often they don't get any apology nothing no just ignore and a lot of the time it's because they're that because they're a minority or because they're black and just in the wrong place walking down the street at the wrong time oh well it's him he's done it let's put him in prison there's so much of that it's awful it's horrendous it does it does need to change fucking hell well, thanks yeah. for that one, Bex. Thank you, Australia, for your murders. <laughs> I mean, I think Australia's got quite the reputation for having some quite horrific murderers. And Perth yeah. does, apparently, as well. So Yeah. I have to go somewhere else for our little murder murder tour of Australia. <laughs> <laughs>
Oh, something I didn't tell you earlier talking about murder tours and going places. Uh, earlier when I was talking about Joey, who'd messaged me directly saying how much he enjoyed the podcast and we got him through his job and stuff. Yeah. He yeah. actually lives an hour away from the Sally house. Oh, oh that's mad. And oh. he'll have to go on a road trip and take a picture. Yeah, he said he might have to go and have a little investigation. And if he does, he's going to send us pictures. Oh, I want him to literally live stream it to us. That'd be so cool. I'd love to do a, like a a little chat, you know, like what how we speak most of the time. Oh, well, yeah, we could do that, couldn't we? I don't know how we'd set that up, but I'm oh, sure it's feasible. If, if he, yeah, if he went into like on the grounds and all of a sudden the camera evolved, you know, like all funny like it does on the uh, on the horror films. Oh, it'd be scary that. Joey, if you're up for it, we can. We'll have to sort it out. Oh, I'd love that. Yeah, be brave, Joey. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Becky, you've got the song for this week, haven't you, sweetie? Yeah. So, I will explain <laughs> before oh. I've done this. Uh, one, I hope it's not too obvious, and two, I kind of gave myself the ick with what I've written. <laughs> It's all yee. You'll see what I mean anyway. Okay. And I'll try and have to just not sing the song because when I was trying to practice it to see if it made sense, <laughs> I kept reading it out in the melody of the song. Oh, no, you can't do that. That gives the so game away. I can't away. do that. No, it, absolutely. I'll say the first three words and you'll know what it is. Okay. Yeah. I'm excited. Go for it. It is a little bit easier than Yellow Submarine, though. Yeah, that was so. tough. I have actually already had two right answers for the song number three, we'll, yeah. but we'll talk about that next week. So anyway, cue spooky music and over to you. Yeah. You bring out the dark fire within me. I desire you more than anything. Believe me when I say that for years I've pictured the way I'm going to have you, to kill you. You never notice me. We are not from the same world. And all I want is to reach you and to have you as my own. And I'll kill you that way I've always dreamed about. You'll ask me why. I'll say your heart won't ache when it's in my hands. You'll plead with me why. There's no mistaking that your end is near. You'll say again why. That's when I'll never hear you say anything again, because I finally had you my way. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> I know what it is. I have no idea. You have no idea? No idea. Oh, I really want to sing it, but I'm not gonna. Yeah, it's so hard <laughs> not to sing. <laughs> ah, yeah. That was really good. Thanks, Beck. So yeah, PMers, PMers. Yep, that's right, isn't PMers. it? Yep, PMers. Yeah. And if I ever do say MP, it's just because that's how it's said in French. Yeah, we get confused. And tell us what you think, because I know what it is. Oh, I don't, and that's so annoying. You're crap at this, Tash, aren't you? Really crap at it. Well, I feel like I don't get the premise of the game. You take a song, you use some of the lyrics, and you turn it into a horror story. That was brilliant, Becky. Thank you. That was proper icky, though, wasn't it? I feel so pervy. <laughs> well, right, little tired. horror stories is never pleasant. But yeah. we have been asked not to stop because people are really enjoying them. So 
I enjoyed writing that. I definitely want to do it and do it more. I yeah. think it's one of the, when I first started, I was like, what the hell am I going to write? And, uh, it kind of just put, went together by itself. You just pick up the lyrics and have a look and say, how can I make this creepy? Yeah. Well, maybe we could take it in turns. I'll do one, you do one, I do one, yeah, you I do one. Yeah, I don't mind. Yeah, we'll, we'll do that. Was that okay like that though? Cause it's not like a, a story. It was just kind of like someone's monologue into himself. <laughs> it, was per- it was perfect. It was absolutely perfect. Anyway, ladies. Mm-hmm. Shall we wrap it up? Yeah. yeah. Dash? Um, <laughs> you can catch us on Instagram, Twitter, or uh, TikTok at SCSK underscore podcast. Yep. And we're also on Facebook and YouTube, just under Spine Chillers and Serial Killers. Yep. And then if you have any suggestions, true crime or ghost stories, or if you want to tell us what you think the song this week is, um, yeah, write into us at chillers.killers.pod at gmail.com. Oh, also very disappointed that nobody suggested our dominatrix names. I put the oh, question yes. on Spotify. <laughs> I got nothing. I got nothing. Rude. All right, then. Speak to you next week. Stay safe. Don't kill people. And keep it weird. Bye. Bye.